My father came to Austin only once. It was my first year working in Texas at the Seminary of the Southwest. And he and my mother arrived on the evening of Holy Thursday of the year 2000. My father wasn't able to eat anything. He had surgery scheduled for late April. And he and mom stayed in the guest room up on the third floor of Rather House. I took them extra quilts for the two single beds that were up there in that little room. And they kept some cans of Ensure in the refrigerator downstairs. I remember sitting on the porch in the wicker chairs, contemplating the present and the future. On Saturday, we went to swim in Barton Springs Pool. On Sunday, we went to Church of the Good Shepherd, and they left on Easter Sunday in the afternoon. On the Friday of Labor Day weekend that year, I headed up to Boston, and Dad died on the early morning of Saturday, September 1st. The time was short. Holy Week dramatizes a time of saying goodbye, of a goodbye before death, when human life comes to an end. In Holy Week, we reenact the events of Jesus' last days, real goodbyes, real agony, betrayal, fear, and grief. And at the same time, all these real experiences have, at the same time, mysteriously become stylized, symbolic, sacramental, communicating the whole Paschal mystery of death and resurrection. The kind of double vision we have throughout Holy Week, the real and the sacramental. Matthew, Mark, and John all begin their account of the days that catapult Jesus headlong to his death with the story of a woman at dinner who anoints Jesus, is criticized by one of the guests at the table, and then affirmed by Jesus. This is John's story, John chapter 12. Notice today how the present moment in this story is interlinked with the past, with the story of Lazarus' illness, death, and raising. At the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And how it is interlinked with the future, Judas, the one who was about to betray him, that she might keep it for the day of my burial. And just look at John 12. Don't read in sex and forgiveness from Luke. Don't read busyness for Martha from Luke, the one who serves. Don't read in that she interrupted the party or didn't belong there because she did. These were siblings and Jesus around a table. It was the same family held together by blood and by love. 
Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. Interpret what Mary does in light of her role back in the story before in John 11. When she stayed at home at the illness of Lazarus. When she's called by Martha. The rabbi is here and is calling for you. Called. An apostolic description. The Jews followed her. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Simultaneously, a statement of fact, of faith, and of lament. And she weeps. And then Jesus weeps. Many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So Mary of Bethany has already been called, confessed faith, shed tears of human grief shared by Jesus, brought others to faith when we see her at the dinner in the home of Lazarus. Simultaneously in this story, she expresses real grief of a friend one last weekend in Bethany. The time is short. And also, this dinner is stylized. The second to last supper where Martha is the deacon. She's the one who served. Lazarus is the acolyte. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Jesus, the anointed one. Mary, the anointer, apostle, prophet, the priest, who prefigures and anticipates what Jesus does. A few nights later, washing, wiping the feet of those he loves. Double vision, real grief, and sacramental faith. And then comes the moment of conflict. In the starkest possible contrast with the act of extravagance, inefficiency, beauty, and sincerity, Judas, the voice of calculation, monetary exchange, sizing up the sacrament and reducing it to a number, 300 denarii. And just so you don't make any mistake, the narrator assures you that Judas is insincere. Jesus' words in response to what Mary does connects the anointing with both death and the finiteness of his presence with them. Time is short. This double 
vision of faith in this story. There's not only real grief, but there's real stuff, real material stuff. A pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. There is physical feet and true human hair. And there's the inexplicable, irrational, circumventing the left brain completely, traveling, filling, saturating, expanding, overwhelming the effects of the sacrament of the priestly anointing and the recognition. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Real pain caused by human illness and death. Brother Lazarus, the grief of his sisters and the whole town. Real stuff, perishable, material stuff that speaks of the permanent, the infinite, the spiritual, and the eternal. Real stuff. The wicker chairs. The quilts on the twin beds. The cans in the refrigerator. A real woman, Mary of Bethany, saying goodbye to her friend, the one she loved and who loved her and her family, who was going to be killed before the week is out. What that real woman does speaks of sacramental anointing that Jesus receives and that Jesus performs for us. Real grief when those we love die, and end their mortal human life. And simultaneously, the experience of the sacrament, the experience of faith in eternal life, eternal life that surpasses death, that is present in the midst of death, and after death, and always. Double vision. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die.